gather as believers. Why is church even a thing? It's kind of a little bit of a weird question for a pastor to ask people at church, but think about it. You can listen to sermons online. You can listen to really dynamic worship music online. You can even attend church online as your own avatars, your own cartoon character, complete with going to church potlucks as that character. All these kind of, it's weird, okay, but some people, it works for them evidently. So why gather? Why go to church? I mean, to come to church is a hassle, You have to wake up in the morning. You have to get out of your jammies. You have to herd the kids in the right direction. You have to drive across town. You have to walk in the rain like you did today. And you have to talk to other humans. It takes so much energy. Okay, why gather? Well, the verses we're going to read out of this ancient book of wisdom called Ecclesiastes that we're going through answers that question, okay? So take a gander at Ecclesiastes 4. I'm just going to read three verses out of it. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. We'll talk about that later, okay? But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Very good, okay? The reason we gather together as believers, not only in large group gatherings like on Sundays, but during the week in face-to-face encounters, is for one dynamic and incredibly important reason, community. We gather to experience community. So today I want to talk about two things. First of all, the obstacles of community, um, because there are several big ones, several things that get in our way of having community. And number two, I want to talk about the awesomeness of community. Let me start with the obstacles. Obstacle number one is this. This really hinders community. We don't know how to disagree with one another. We just don't. Ancient rabbis honored people that disagreed with them. They even sought them out on purpose. They wanted to have relationship with people who disagreed with them, especially on issues of faith, because the people that disagreed with them caused them to think and learn and read and grow. So they cherished those relationships. Nowadays, if we disagree with people, and we can disagree with them on anything, matters of sexuality, politics, social issues, our beliefs about the Bible, our relationship between science and the Bible, you name it. If we disagree with them, do we typically honor those relationships? Usually not. You can get online and find this out. What we usually do is sever our relationships with them and then vilify them, then call them really nasty names on social media. That's like our common practice nowadays. Well, when you read about Jesus, he often disagreed with people. One of the groups that he butted heads with the most was the religious leaders in the religious establishment at the time. He was always butting heads with them. These hyper-religious types were all about being right believing the right things, doing the right things, following the right rules, adhering to the right traditions, and most of all, being around the right people. Well, then along comes Jesus, and he just rocks their world because he broke those rules, he broke from those traditions, and when you read about his social interactions, he was hanging around all of the wrong people, and he was showing us all, showing the religious leaders and all of us as well, that we weren't placed here on earth to be right And I like to be right, okay? But that's not our goal. We're not placed here to be right. We're placed here to be love. In the book of Philippians in the New Testament, there's this guy named Paul. 
And he's called the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament portion of the Scripture. And he used to be one of those hyper-religious sorts. In fact, he was so consumed with being right about things, he would persecute and mistreat and even throw people in jail who he believed to be wrong. And he was on this journey one time on his donkey, as you did back then because you didn't have a Prius. It was like the ancient version of a donkey, you know. And so he was on his donkey riding to another village to persecute these people. And all of a sudden, a flash of light knocks him off the donkey. And it turns out Jesus was that flash of light. So Jesus is the one that swatted him off his donkey. And he picks himself up, and he has this life-altering interaction with Jesus. And after this interaction, look at the words he penned in the book of Philippians. He says two things that really jump out at you in this book. Number one, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, And then later on in chapter 3, he says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Now you've got to know that when he says everything, when I consider everything a loss, everything to him meant his past, his past where he was this hyper-religious person that had to be right. He's saying that I consider that a loss. And then he goes on to say, I actually consider them garbage. We have, we have really tamed down the scripture here. That's actually the word scubalon, which means, I'll say poop, but it even means a more crass version of it than that. So what Paul is saying to us in the scripture is so great. He's saying, hey, being right is just a steaming pile of poop. But loving people, even the people that disagree with you, that's where the action is. So Paul cleared that hurdle that's in all of our way. The second obstacle of community is this. We put morality above hospitality. Sometimes people exit community. I've, known, I've noticed this in all faith communities I've been a part of because they adopt an us versus them mentality. They say, well, I can't be in close proximity. I can't be in relationship or community with these people because they have sin in their life and their, their ick might pollute my own personal purity. Okay. Ah, okay. First of all, the last time I checked, we all have sin in our lives, okay? Most of you have sinned proficiently even before you got to church today, okay? That's just how it goes. We've got sin in our life. We've got areas of our life that aren't up to speed with God's desires and plans and heart for us, okay? That's just the nature of life. So instead of going around being concerned that people's ick might affect us, we should actually go around more concerned about how our ick might affect them. That's why there's a phrase, I hear it from people all the time, and I hate it. Please don't use this phrase, at least not around me. Well, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. Everybody that's ever said that to me comes off as pompous, arrogant, and spiritually elite, okay? A much better phrase is, love the sinner, hate your own dang sin, okay? Because you've got enough in your life to take care of for the rest of your time on this earth, all right? Or as Jesus said, pull the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's eye. This does not mean you can't confront somebody if you believe there's sin in their life, if there's some action or attitude or behavior that's going to be destructive to them. 
Of course you can confront them. That's what friends do. But confront them from inside of a loving relationship with them, not from atop some imaginary pedestal of pride and spiritual superiority. Okay? That's the important part. And let's all remember Sin doesn't define any human being on this planet. It's not the most interesting. It's not the most important thing about us. Sin is something we struggle with. It's not who we are. So in order to function as community, we have to be more concerned about hospitality than we are about morality. And this, I know, tweaks some of your thinking. But we have to do that because Jesus did that. There's this incredible story in Luke 19. Jesus is on this preaching tour. He's going from village to village telling people about a relationship with God. And he gets to one village and he sees Zacchaeus. And he looks at this guy named Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, get ready. I'm coming over to your house for dinner. And we read that and think, oh, he invited himself over. No big deal. This story's huge for two reasons. Number one, When you went to dinner with someone back then, it wasn't just a social nicety. It meant that you were under their protection in their home, which meant that you were viewed as being a part of their family, as a part of their extended family. That's what going to dinner with someone meant. So he's basically saying, you and I are family, Zacchaeus. The second thing that makes this an awesome story is Zacchaeus was a known white-collar criminal. He was a tax collector. They'd collect too many taxes, skim off the top, and they'd get rich while all the people were getting poor. He was also in league with the Romans, the Romans who had occupied the Jews' land and and persecuted the people. They had crucified 3,000 people in the village of Magdala at this time. 3,000 people died in one day. So the Jews hated the Romans hated them with a white-hot hatred. And here's Jesus looking at Zacchaeus, a criminal in league with the Romans, and saying, I'm coming to your house for dinner because you and I, we're family. The Jews would have been furious at Jesus about this. In fact, they were. They started trying to kill him after this, okay? They would have been furious. But the point of the story that I love so much is Jesus didn't start by confronting Zacchaeus' sin, he started with dinner. That's what he started with. He didn't run away from Zacchaeus. He ran towards him. We've got to do the same thing. Please don't think it's your number one job to be the morality police and to identify and pick out and draw attention to the sin in everybody's life. That's not a very good way to live, okay? Instead, run towards them and start with dinner. I love, there's a guy named Bob Goff. He writes a lot of books. And look what he says about this. I I just love this quote. I'll pop it on the screen. I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to be with them. Ah, that needs to be our heart. All right? Now let's move on to the awesomeness of community. I want to point out a few things that are laid out for us in the four verses we read out of Ecclesiastes that make us realize how incredibly wonderful it is to be in community. And the first one is this. When we're in community, we actually become more efficient. I am not a patient person, and I'm trying to get more patient. It's not going very well. (laughs) Okay, ask my wife, all right? I'm just not a super patient person. Um, And one of the things that makes it hard for me is when I see people It's always other people, it's not me. Um, When I see other people and they're not operating very efficiently, it just makes me so impatient. I'll give you examples, okay? 
I go to and do a lot of weddings. Oftentimes at weddings, they want to feed everybody afterwards, and there's two or 300 people. So what they do is they buy all this expensive food, and they put it out on one table, one little table, and they do this single-file line, and the, the wedding party always gets to eat first, so they get all the warm food and everything. And there's this one line going through there. You know how long it takes 300 people to go through one line when people are picking things out? Oh, I don't want that. Maybe I'll take that. And they're going so slow, okay? And I always think, why don't you put out, like, five tables and let us go on both sides of it? Then we can all go through in just a matter of minutes so that the people that go last, the polite people, they don't end up with macaroni and cheese that's solidified so you stab your fork into it and you can lift it out of the pan as a whole. Why can't we be more efficient? I don't understand. Or lines at Winco. Winco, I I can't hardly go there anymore, okay? Because when you check out at Winco, you can get your cart through there, and then you're supposed to take your cart. Please follow this. It's an unwritten rule, but it's for all intelligent people. Um, And you get out, and you get it out of the way, and you put it at the end. That way, your food is going through there, and you can bag it and then pay for it later. And all the while, the person behind you can get their cart through and go to the other side, you know, because the food divides, and we can both bag it at once. But what do people do? They pull their cart in there. Their food's going through there. You've already put it on the miniature conveyor belt. And they block your way with their cart, and you can't get through. And now your food's scrunching up at the end because the conveyor belt makes it mass into a pile. Why can't we be more efficient? So I'm not very patient. Um... (laughs) The good news about community, it actually makes us more efficient. We can accomplish more together than we can on our own. Think about it. We are charged with bringing heaven to earth, bringing God's ways, his kingdom to earth, having heaven arrive here. That's a huge job. It is a huge job, but we can do it much more efficiently when we do it together. I don't know, I'm, probably, I'm sure I'm dating myself, but remember dot-to-dot drawings? Do you remember those? If you're too young to remember those, they were so great. You'd get a paper and there'd be these dots and they'd have numbers by them, one, two, three, and so on. And you'd connect dot one with dot two and dot two with dot three and so on. And then when you connected enough dots, an image appeared like of a bear or a deer or a bunny or something like that. And you'd think, I'm a genius. I am such a great artist. It was so great. Well, in our lives together, think about this. We love and worship a God that people can't see. Can't see, at least not with the, their physical eyes. But when we gather together in community, something amazing happens. The dots get connected for people because each of our friendships, each of our relationship is two dots being connected. It's a line connecting two dots. And when enough of these lines are drawn, when enough of these relationships are formed, an image appears, and it's the image of God. So our love for each other, our relationships with each other actually draw a picture of what God is like for people because God is love. And so when we love, it draws a picture of God for them, and they are drawn to what they see, and that's when heaven invades earth. That's when the job gets done. The second benefit, the awesome benefit of being community, we pick each other up. These verses in Ecclesiastes clearly tell us that there will be people around us to pick us up when life knocks us off kilter, okay? In these moments when we're dazed and confused and we hurt so bad that our life doesn't even make sense for us. 
I remember Gene Skinner put on a musical for kids. I think it was Christmas time at Downtown Faith Center a long time ago. I wasn't even on staff at the church then, so it would have been back in the 80s. And I remember one of the kids in the musical, he was dressed up in a box. They had costumes, and his was a box. I think it was a television set. I think it was that. But he was standing on a stage, and there was another riser on the side. But in between the two stage components, there was a chasm. There was like a hole between those two stage parts. And this kid was singing a song. He was getting kind of squirrely. And I love this kid, by the way. He was a part of my youth group later on. He was a dear kid. And I don't know if he locked his knees, but he got a little off balance. And he didn't just fall like step into it. He fell head first and stuck himself I'm so great. He stuck himself in this chasm between the stages. And the rest of the kids kept singing because the show must go on, right? They didn't pay attention to him. And I'm watching him and his, his legs are violently, I can picture it in my mind to this day, violently wiggling and he's stuck. He's wedged in there in his little TV costume or whatever. And I am not super compassionate, not patient, not that compassionate. I can't stop laughing. And I'm just watching him. I don't even listen to the music. I'm watching him. But fortunately, two more compassionate individuals lifted him out of there. He was crying, and I'm laughing. And lifting him out of there and putting him back up on the stage. And the other kids just kept singing. Oh, my gosh. It was the best musical ever, okay? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? In our lifetimes, we suffer for far too long because we isolate ourselves. Well, I'm a wimp. I don't like pain very much. So I've learned that when I reach out to people when I'm hurting, it's incredibly humbling, but it's also an awesome experience because they pull me out of the chasm of my pain. It would have taken me forever to wriggle out of it by myself, but they help lift me up. Look what author Anne Lamott says about this, and she's talking about her own faith community. I have been in dire, searing straits before. When life has pulled the rug out from under me and all my nice Jesus-y beliefs have been shaken, when almost everything I am afraid of, loss, failure, crucial deaths, have appeared, those threats and losses could have thrown me into hopelessness, but the rich love of my friends and my crazy consignment store faith eventually pulled me back to my feet. It's such a blessing of community to have people lift you back up. The third blessing of community, we keep each other warm. It says that in that, the verses we read. You know, body heat is a very important thing when you're trying to stay alive in survival situations. And we see this every week when the show Naked and Afraid comes on Discovery Channel. It's not like pornography, okay? They blur out parts. So, but at any rate, they, they're always like snuggling at nighttime to keep themselves alive. Though some of that snuggling, <laughs> I'm sorry, some of the snuggling, because Naked and Afraid is two individuals with no clothes on a guy and a girl always trying to survive. And I think some of the snuggling is just the guy going, hey, okay, um, we need to snuggle tonight because I'm freezing, even though you're in Africa. It's probably 90 degrees in the middle of the night. I just look at the guys some time ago. Well played, buddy. Okay, way to go. But anyway, I kind of got off topic just a little bit. Okay, but this warmth, this, this warmth applies to more than just the physical. It is so easy in this life to feel chilled. When you go through rejection or betrayal or cynicism, it can leave you feeling cold-hearted. And we can start to think, well, screw it, man. I've been hurt so many times. My heart's been massacred so often. 
and so deeply. I'm just going to build this emotional wall around my heart, and it's going to protect me. I won't let people in that deep anymore. And that works for a while. Keeps you safe. Keeps your heart from being massacred. But after a while, it gets really cold feeling inside your safe little cocoon. And that's where community comes to the rescue. People come up to you and they pull you out of the chill and your heart is warmed by the compassion of others and you feel like you're alive again. There's a perfect story, a great story in the Gospels about this. Jesus heals a woman and it said she had an issue of bleeding. And you can see when you read through this story, what happens is for 12 years, 12 years, more than a decade, she had a chronic menstrual condition that was causing her great pain and a lot of pain that you wouldn't even know about. Because of this condition, she was not allowed to go to the temple with her faith community and worship. Because of this condition, she had to be confined to a single room in her own home. And because of this condition, people would have avoided any kind of physical contact with her. So for more than a decade, for 12 years, she would have felt like an outcast. And Jesus heals her, but he doesn't just heal her of the medical condition. He heals her on a soul level because he refers to her after he heals her as daughter, as daughter. The reason that's such a big deal, because in Hebrew, the root of that word daughter actually means a person who's acceptable to God. That's what the word daughter means in their language. So here's this woman that felt like she wasn't accepted by anyone because of her condition. And here comes Jesus, not only heals her body, heals her soul by saying, you're accepted by God. Those words, that one word, daughter, would have warmed her heart. Fourthly, we get to strengthen each other. That's a blessing of community. In Anne Lamott's church in San Francisco, I was reading one of her books, actually, and she talks about two people. This story is stuck in my mind for over a decade now. A woman named Renola who was raised in the South. She was a, a big, strong, kind of husky black woman raised in the southern United States. And then there was a guy named Ken who was a small, older individual who was actually dying of a disease and his body was withering away. They went to church together all the time, but Renola was a little afraid of Ken, afraid like, I don't know, whatever he's got it, I might get it. And so she kept her distance from him and looked down on him a little bit. And then after months of them going to church, Ken was just withering away in front of the whole community's eyes. And they did this worship time like we did this morning. And during the first song, everybody stood like we did. Ken at this point is, is so near death, he can't stand up. So he's the only one not standing. And Anne says, I could see Renola, and she's looking at him. And at first you're thinking, oh, is she looking down on him? What's going on? And she's looking at him, and then she looks back and sings, and she's just distracted. And later on in the set, the worship set, the last one, they, they stood again. And again, Ken couldn't stand. And Renola did the most amazing thing. She can't take it anymore. She walks over to him. And remember, she's a big, kind of studly woman, walks over to him and grabs him and just picks him up, and they sing the worship song together as she's holding him up, and it just pierced the whole community with love. And I, I remember that story because it's a perfect picture of what Ecclesiastes 4 is talking about. We need the strength of other people to hold us up sometimes. 
Maybe you're going through a season of great grief or loss right now. Maybe you're terrified. You're scared out of your wits about something you're about to face. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe everything in your life is hard right now. Your marriage is hard. Your kids are hard. Your job is hard. Life is just hard. It's hard to even drive through Eugene right now. I'm not a patient person. Okay, so... But whatever the cause, you're exhausted right now and you feel weak. And the great thing about going through a time of weakness is because if you're in a community, the people that actually give a rip about you won't let you be weak alone. They'll come up to you and say, you don't have any faith, that's okay, you can borrow some of mine. You, you can't stand up and stand and go through this situation, that's okay, I'll prop you up and I'll walk you through this situation together. It's such a cool experience. Our lives in community truly are like like threads of a cord that are wound together. We're so much stronger together than we are apart. One last benefit of community, I'll end with this, but it's not mentioned in Ecclesiastes 4, but I just had to mention it, okay, because it's so true. Community is just so much more interesting than being alone. It's so much more interesting I had a large youth group at Downtown Faith Center at that time. It was over 100 kids. And it was so diverse and interesting. And it was middle school kids because that just makes it even more interesting. But we had tall kids, short kids, girls, boys. We had white kids. We had people of all different ethnicities there. We had one girl that was so double-jointed she could point her foot forward and walk around it and never move her foot. Okay, couldn't forget that. We had a guy that had scar on his leg in the exact shape of the Hawaiian Islands. So freaky, okay? We had a kid that could suck his stomach in. We call him Skeletor. He was so skinny. He was so skinny, he sucked his stomach in, and it looked like he swallowed a Coke bottle. You could grab it. You could grab him by it and, like, move him around. It was so weird. We had a boy that we came in a relationship at camp that would, would pour water up his nose with, like, a Yeti pot, which is not that unusual. But then he could squirt it out of his eyeball at you, okay? It was just the whole, my whole life for 23 years, it was just so interesting. I mean, so interesting. We've got the same thing going on in this church, and you might not know it, okay? We've got a diverse group of people here. We've got white people. We've got people of color, though, not enough. Eugene's such a mayonnaise-looking town, okay? We need to get way more diverse there, but, you know, we're getting there. We've got young people. We've got old people. We've got some super old people here, too, okay? We've got some babies that have just been born, I mean, that can't even talk yet. We've got all of that. We have got straight people. We've got gay people, which takes them a lot of courage to come to church after what they've been through for most faith communities. We've got people on the road to sobriety right now, the difficult road to sobriety. We've got people that are recovering from addiction to not just alcohol but narcotics, and they're making it. And I'm so proud of them, okay? We've got other interesting people here, all right? We've got Bob Reed sitting over there. I'm, I'm going to point some of you out by name, but I won't point at you because people have to meet you on their own. We've got Bob Reed. I just did a funeral for Bob's mom who is 90, and I've known her since I was 14. Such an important role in my spiritual development. Well, she's this prim and proper lady, and it turns out that Bob and his brother, their middle names were given to them by their mom, this prim and proper lady, and they were the names of boys she had crushes on, but she didn't marry. How cool is that? George was like named after, um, oh, the, the, 
the, what do you call that, the lifeguard at the pool. And I think Bob's middle name was after a Russian foreign exchange student, which is just so cool. Okay? We've got Ron here. I don't know if you've ever met Ron. Ron's an ex-professional football player, played for the Cincinnati Bengals for years. Probably didn't know that, did you? Okay? We've got Ken here, an underground hip-hop artist that tours around doing his music cool music, okay? We've got the Daniels. They're not here today, but the Daniels, you'll notice Bill. I don't, Bill is a very large guy, okay, with tattoos all over. His legal name is Little. That's his first name. Bill's actually his second name, Little Bill Daniels. How ironic, okay? <laughs> Little Bill Daniels. And I did their wedding in the middle of a tattoo convention. That was wild. I wish I would have filmed it, okay? We have got, who else do we got here? Who else do I want to name and embarrass here? Lynette. We've got Lynette. Lynette can write her name, in other words, with both hands going towards each other. She can write the same words with both hands at the same time simultaneously. Who can do that? We've got Pete, a worship leader who's an art major. Who's an art major? Okay. Who does that, Pete? I don't even know. You're literally the only art major I know because nobody can get a job when you're an art major. Okay. We've got Mimi and we've got Genevieve, who are the two best huggers in the world, okay? I don't see Genevieve today, but Mimi's here. If you guys ever hug each other, that would just be epic, okay? That'd be great. We've got Jonathan. Jonathan, I actually am going to embarrass you. Where's Jonathan? Where are you? What? Oh, he's in the kids' class. Is he really, Jonathan Woodland? Are you in the kids' class? Jonathan Woodland, can you stand up? Can you just, I'm so sorry. I owe you lunch for doing this. Tell people what you just got back from. And, oh, it gets better. Out of how many people? 5,000? 5,000 people, what place did you get? That's amazing. That's amazing, okay? We've got all this kind of interesting. I could go on and on and on, okay? And I'm not going to, you know, introduce you to these people. You got to meet them yourself. That's part of community. But this, it is so much more interesting. Your life is so much more interesting when you get involved in the lives of others. So community is important. It's awesome. It's interesting, but it's also incredibly difficult. It's so difficult because we're humans and we mess things up. One of my favorite pastors, I just admire her so much. Nadia Boltz wrote about this. This is what she said to everybody that was new to her church. She would say this, this community will disappoint you. It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of when, not if. People will let you down or I will say something stupid or hurt your feelings and then going on. If you choose to leave when your expectations are not met, you won't get to see how the grace of God can come and fill the holes left by our community's failure. And that's just too real and too beautiful to miss. Oh my gosh, thank you, Nadia, for that. Okay? Because she's going, community's awesome, but it's hard work. It takes gumption. It takes effort. It takes the ability to forgive. It takes the willingness to have difficult conversations, and it takes the grace to disagree, and it's totally worth it. And I'm getting all fired up, so we're going to be done. I'm going to pray here. And after I'm done praying, Jimmy will be up here. If any of you need an extra dose of prayer, Jimmy will be here for you. He's a great prayer, okay? Is prayer a word? I think so. All right, let me pray for us. It won't be easy, God. This is not going to be easy what we're going to journey to do, but please help us to function as a clump, not as individuals, as community, Lord, to, people, to be people who know it's not about being right. never has been. It's about love. To be people who place hospitality 
over morality, to be people who are experiencing all the awesomeness that comes with community. It's not just interesting, Lord. It's so good. It's so you. So lead us, Lord, into community. Thank you, God, for this wisdom out of this wonderful book that's from you. We love you. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Have a glorious week. You might want to get to know some people on your way out, just saying. Okay? All right? I love you so much. See you here next Sunday.